You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Ramban versus Rambam. And I'm sort of going to go into a little bit of a tangential area today, but I think it's important because... Um, it really speaks to the influence of both of these men uh, and and how they their legacy and their specific way that they have come down to us and in ways that they have influenced others. And specifically about the Sefer HaChinuch. Now, if you remember the title, this was something I was going to do a number of weeks ago. It's called the wonderfully anonymous Sefer Achinuch, and I, I want to also deal not only with what his approach was to the issues that we've been dealing with about what are the purpose of mitzvos and specific mitzvos, and maybe even the purpose of um, of um, the world, and even what the essence of our soul is. I want to deal with another question, which has been bothering me, and I don't have a great answer for it. And that is the fact that this is a work that was anonymous. Sefer Achinuch was an anonymous work. The author hides his identity. And here's the shocker about this, and I'm going to let it out right now in the beginning. Despite the fact that since the book was printed in 1523, and then it was printed again in 1600, and from 1600 it was printed many, many times. Everybody, of course, Bob, who's here, remembers that we used to learn the Minchas Chinuch, and of course we would start a little bit with the Sefer Chinuch. So, and I, and when I learned with Bob, then I explained that this was one of the most beloved books, really, of all uh, the Yeshiva Torah books that you could get. I always tell people, buy the Minchas Chinuch as a good bar mitzvah present for Yeshiva Bocher. Rav Salvechik um, would um, study, supposedly his mother would have to come in and force him to go to sleep because he'd be reading the Minchas Chinuch at night before he went to sleep. But that's, of course, the Sefer written on the Chinuch. The book, the Chinuch itself, though, was also very popular and was printed many, many times. So here's my point. It was printed, it was used, and Rav, Rav, uh, the Chafetz Chaim in the Ber Halacha and other poskim, very chosh of a poskim, used the Sefer HaChinuch to determine questions, to, to help determine questions, to put them on a list of Rabbonim who hold, whether it's Firas HaOmer's Menatora or other things, or the rationale behind who you can make a mashkiach, the Sefer HaChinuch and his rationale have been important and have influenced the way our poskim up until the present time have determined how we should follow Jewish law. But up until the 16th century, he is not quoted by any Risha. In other words, none of the contemporaneous people of his time quoted this book despite the fact that it, there was 15 print, there's at least 15 manuscripts, which is a lot that have 
In other words, 50, if, if we have in the 20th century, or 21st century, 15 manuscripts of this work, that's an indicator that before the printing press, many people were copying it. And yet, in the real Bate Medrash of the Rishonim and Poskim, they don't quote this work. They don't refer to it. Only once the book becomes printed and everybody can get hold of it, that people fall in love with it and start using it. And it's clear the book was not a forgery, but it's an anonymous book that was written by someone in the period of the Rishonim. Why should that book, since we don't know who wrote it, we don't know the stature of the person, we can assume because we see how brilliant some things are, how we like it, but we know when it comes to our acceptance of things, we accept things based on a Masorah. There's no, if the book is an unknown author, that should discount its significance, at least in terms of halach. It might be a, a wonderful read. It might be a great curiosity. But in terms of being integrated into the Mesorah, I have a big problem with an anonymous work. Who is he? I'm not a, a, a giant to say I like another and someone better than him, or I like him better than someone else. But if you tell me the Rambam, Ooh, that's the Rambam. Okay. Who argues with the Rambam? Uh, we found uh, one of the Tosfos Chachme Anglia, uh, Rabbeinu Yomtov uh, argues with the Rambam. So anybody will tell you, well, okay. It's nice to hear two, two sides, but one side is like the Harlem Globetrotters. And the other side is the, what do they call them? The Washington generals, like that they're, they're, they're going to lose. In the same way, the fact that this book has been written, that was written and was loved, doesn't necessarily mean it should carry halachic and even philosophic weight. Right? <laughs> We've talked many times in the last couple of weeks about tradition and going back to the Rishonim. Well, clearly, as the Ramban has taught us, the Rishonim that we, uh, the the Chachmei Yisrael, the Bezdin Agadol, yeah, what they said, we have to listen to. But an author who happened to live in a certain time, and because of who knows what reason, his work was preserved and eventually published. Why should that person, since we don't have any indicator who he is, to prove his greatness and where he comes from and what he stands for, why should he even be considered anything other than a curiosity? In other words, what I'm trying to say is, okay, it's a nice work. It was written in a certain time, but that doesn't make him a reshown. Now, you hear people say, Machlokas Rishonim. That's a very important statement. Not every person who lived in the time of the Tanoim was a Tana. Not everyone who lived in the time of the Maroyim was an Amora. I find it so fascinating that the Sefer Achinuch and maybe other works like them have entered into our halachic world, even though we, have, we, can't, we don't know who wrote them, just because we like them. And that seems to go against 
my sense of how halacha should work and how even philosophy should work in terms of what are the philosophical opinions that we should consider significant because they are connected to teachers who know things and who have, who have known things. So that's one of my questions that I have here. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to give you a great answer. But I want to put I want to put it on the table now. Does somebody wanted to say something on this? Yeah, I did. So I mean, wouldn't the counter argument to what you just say be that the work stands on its own? You evaluate it, and whoever wrote it, it almost doesn't matter. It could be a Martian if the work is sound and is insightful and so on. Then then it's good, and if it's not, then it's not. Okay, so Jack, that would be a, a good approach if we level the playing field completely. There are people that will, maybe Shia Leibowitz, maybe other thinkers would say, look, I, I, I'm going to bring in Jewish thinkers, but it's not what the Rishonim say, right? Uh, again, we could have... Uh, right. In other words, here's the here's the opinion of various rab various Jewish thinkers on this subject. I'm not saying that that Nachmanides or Maimonides should be more significant than Schneer Zalman of Liadi or uh, Yes. Just, just let me just finish this point. Yeah, I'm sorry. Which, I, I'm, we'll get to you in a second, Doctor Kogan. Jack. So you're right. If you want to give everybody, you want to make the Ishbitzer of Cook. Uh, the Ramban and the Rambam and Hirsch, you want to give give them all equal status and then let, I don't know, the the the, the wise people of each gen, of our generation decide which one we like, and we're not going to get a, a uniformed opinion on that. We know that. Um, so yeah, if that would be the attitude, then I would say yeah, okay, it doesn't make a difference who he is. But if what we're trying to do is study. Rishonim, study the giants that we stand on their shoulders and obviously all of you, I mean you like me I think and that's one of the reasons you listen to this shir, but I think another reason why you're here is because it's about these two men, Ramban and Rambam and about who they were, when they lived, what they're about, how fundamental they are in terms of the period that they and the shadow they cast so um, A Chinuch, whoever he is, didn't cast any shadow until someone decided in 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 um, in, um, Vienna, in, in, in not Vienna in um, Venice in 1523 to print the book, and then it took 80 years till it was printed again, and then the steamroller started. Then people started printing it, and it started being studied uh, to the point as the Minchas Chinuch said, "Hey, this is a great book for me to write my." Pilpulim on, but you know, it's like, all right, I, I'm going to tell you, Jack, I even have the same question about uh, the Me'iri. Now, every single person here has heard about the Me'iri. Every single one has heard me maybe talk about the Me'iri as well. But, okay, um, is, was he one of the Gedoliador? Oh. Oh. Go ahead. Who who's this? Uh, uh, Jackie. Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Jackie. It's good to hear you. I'm just saying, you know, say bivrit, Misha. Okay. All right. 
Well, I was like, who, just because, just because a person had a schut to live in a certain period and even wrote books that people liked. Look, I'm going to tell you that uh, one of the most, per, most learned, studied authors of the 20th century was, in the 21st century maybe, is Pinchas Kahati. Right? Pinchas Kahati. I think almost everybody here uh, has probably picked up a Kahati Mishnayot. I don't know. I'm looking at the names of everyone's here. I would say many of you have and probably used it to study probably more than you've picked up some of the Rishonim, right? So Kahati, and now, let's say 100 years from now, when people speak about the great men of the 20th century, the great Rabbonim, the great Poskim, the great rabbinic leaders, the great thinkers in Judaism, the fact that Kahati's books were studied and positive and everybody liked them, I think he would have been the first one to admit that he was just someone who had come up with a great idea of how to put a safer together that people could use. And I think the same thing, of course, is true with the, you know, with the Me'iri, of course. The reason why I think people, there's so many manuscripts and people like to safer is because he wrote very clear. He described things in a way that the other Rishonim didn't, and it made it easier for people who weren't so strong in learning to grasp what was going on in the Gemara because he would give you a synopsis of the opinions. He was very organized, but his name doesn't appear as one of the great uh, rabbinic decisors. He doesn't appear, so it would be wrong to say, well, there's a Machlekes, the Me'iri, and the Rashba. The Me'iri and the Rashba, the the Me'iri quotes the Rashba consistently as one of the great Rabbonim of his time. The Me'iri is just uh, a writer. And in that way, I think this really, you know, summons up a question about who's significant. Do uh, we make them significant because we like them? Yes. What did you want to say, Dr. Cole? I, I wanted to say, I think what you, I'm trying to uh, to reiterate what, uh, reinterpret what you're saying. In scholarship, what really matters is Shalshelet uh, Kabbalah, the passing of tradition. So uh, who was the Chinuch's uh, uh, Rebbe? Who was here? Do you, do you understand? That's where it meant, because you really have to go by the, uh, uh, by the, the the tradition, how tradition was passed, inherited, and I guess if somebody is outside of the tradition, we we ha- a scholarship has a problem with okay. that. Okay, all right. So Dr. Kogan makes a good point. Even if we don't know who this man is, if we could figure out uh, who is Rabbeimar, right? So right. at least we don't have to know who he was, but he was part of a school, and it's like. And, and that could whitewash, or at least could wa- paint Stop. over the the lack of details about who he about his his actual identity. All right. So here, I want to argue and push back on that because you know, you know, I, I you know, I was zocha to learn in the Mir Yeshiva, one of the greatest yeshivas in the world, and I could put on my resume that I studied under Rav Chaim Shmulevitz. And Rav Nochem Partsovich. Okay, we're two of the great leaders of the Mir. But I was just a guy. I was one of 400 guys there. Um, 
you know, was did I really understand exactly what Rav Chaim was about? I can say I studied by him, and I can say, the, oh, I could call him my Rebbe. But if the I fact that they let you continue studying there is is as approval by them. Um, you know what? I wasn't an Acher. I didn't I didn't go off the derech, and there were so there were so many of us that I could call Rav Nochem Partzavish my Rebbe. The great Rav Nochem Trocker, my Rebbe. But am I the one who f- continues his tradition? So even if we can determine who this man's Rabbeim were, we don't know that the Rebbe held of him. We don't know that the Rebbe felt that what he was saying was an accurate indicator of, of, of that man's, of, of the Rebbe's ideas or a, uh, a, enhancement or an extension of them. So even if we're able to determine who his Rebbe was and where he lived and what yeshiva he went to, who says he makes the grade? Not everybody who's part of the academy makes the grade to deserve the the eternal role of being a somebody, a player in Jewish thought and Jewish law. And um, especially when it comes to Jewish law. And I, I and maybe, Jack, this is something, you know, when it comes to machshava and it comes to uh, philosophy or it comes to why not? You know, when there, it doesn't make such a difference. But I, I, I'm still prejudiced against people who who are from the real McCoys. But when it comes to Jewish law, which is where the chinuch had been used by as, as at least uh, another opinion to add to the pile... I, it seems to me irresponsible to add him when we don't even know who he is and to, right. Okay. That's just my point. And I'm okay. That's, I'm happy that I stirred the pot as far as this goes. Now, the truth is because he's anonymous, it's easy to love, right? Somebody who doesn't tell you who he is, right? Somebody who could, and it's sort of like in today's world, if somebody would be a blogger and he, he, he wouldn't give away who is, you know, where he went to school or what his political affiliation is, he could probably get wider acceptance than someone who says that he went to a certain school or studied under somebody specifically. Um so in a way, I think being anonymous has helped him. Being anonymous has helped him get more acceptance in some way. Uh, and, 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 and therefore, um, you know, you, you, let, let me say it in a better way. A lot of you, when, 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 I, when we've been doing Ramban and Rambam, um, you know, we've been working with... Uh, what the Rambam might say in two or three of his different books, right? In fact, I gave a whole class, if you remember, about the difference between the Rambam in Moranavuchim and the Rambam in um, Sefer HaMitzvos or in Mishnah Torah. We talked about the Ramban um, aging and writing his, his later books when he was older, right? So in a way... Uh, when you have an author that you don't know who he is and you don't have any other, you don't know what other books he wrote, if he did, it's easier to sort of like just jump in 
into this Sefer, and you don't need to, to read books that he wrote and ideas that he said in other venues and think about it in any sophisticated way. Okay, so let's go on. One of the topics that we spoke about was the mitzvah of Shul Chakein, the mitzvah of Osav Espino. So um, the Ramban, as you know, criticized the Rambam. And I pointed out in this class that the criticism did not seem to be a very um, accurate criticism because the Rambam himself and Moranavuchim pretty much agrees with the Ramban that we don't really care about animals' feelings. Okay, if you might remember that class. Okay, before the Ramban said that, though, the Ramban uh, gave another reason behind why one should not take the mother along with the chicks and why one should not kill the mother and child on the same day. And the reason the Ramban said was because that is an act which sounds like the destruction of the species. I don't know if I emphasized this enough when we studied it. The Ramban, it was a throwaway idea from the Ramban. The Ramban spent two lines on it. Now, obviously, you do not destroy the species when you take this mother and these eggs. There's still plenty of this, these birds flying around. Okay, so still, the idea that you can take both generations, that you can kill representatives of both generations, generates the feeling that man has the right to eliminate a species completely. And the Ramban says that's wrong. Okay, so that's what the Ramban says. He doesn't make much of it. Here is the Sefer Achinuch. I'll show you what he writes. This is on the Mitzvah Shulach HaKeim. And you can see it, it's up here on the board. Mishor Shem Mitzvah L'Seisa Libeinu Shashgochos Ha'el Baruchu Al Briosov Biminyan Ha'odam Bifrat Human beings, and we've talked about this in the class as well, God has hashkocha on every part of what human beings do. Now, um, remember, the Rambam says um, that, you know, hashkocha is greater depending on your philosophical state of mind and who you are as a person. Okay. But 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 this so but however this is taken from the Rambam, Animals, there is no hashkocha on them specifically. There's a hashkocha on the species. Now this is the Rambam in Moranavuchem says the exact same thing. God wants the species to alive. Now, I read this Sefer Achinuch um, when I was 10 or 11 years old for the first time. Maybe nine was the first time I read this. And I, I learned this with my father, and I reviewed it with a woman who used to come to our house uh, who wanted to learn Torah on Shabbos. Uh, her name was Mrs. Goldman. And uh, she was a, she was a divorcee, and she sent both of her children uh, to yeshivas, and one of them 
became a very wealthy doctor who used to give hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to the Ponovitcher Yeshiva. And this was a woman, and, and, and this doctor started off as a little boy in Memphis, Tennessee. Her mother, his mother sent him away uh, to live because of asthma uh, in Arizona. And then she, although she had these wonderful sons, she lived by herself in a little apartment. And it was a couple of, she lives a couple of blocks away from my parents in a, in a neighborhood that was becoming increasingly unsafe to live in. But she would come to our house, not to eat, but to study. And since she knew my father, Ovashalm, was studying with me, she wanted me to study with her. And she would give me, I believe, a dollar. Uh, and she would come over on Saturday night to drop this dollar off. And that was mm-hmm. a, an incredible amount that she would she would come to give me a dollar to study with her. So this was my first, I guess, tutoring job when I was about nine years old, nine, ten, uh, till I was about 12. And I remember studying this with my father, Lashalom, and studying it with her. And I remember this part very uh, distinctly. What did God, what did he just write? There will never be a elimination of a species from the world. Because God wants the species to live. He might not care about these specific birds, but this the cardinal or the duck, whatever it was, the hummingbird, whatever it was, the kosher bird that we're talking about here with a pheasant, those birds would always be here. I remember that I spoke with uh, Mrs. Goldman about this and we wondered because we knew about the, the many species were becoming extinct. And, he, and here the Sefer Chinuch wrote, based on the Ramban, Ramban doesn't say that, that there can never be any species that become extinct. God makes sure that never happens. Anyway, so it's still a question. I, this, is a, this is a 50-something-year-old question that I have. When you realize that God keeps pheasants alive, what do you see? That the fact is that God will keep species alive, whether they are whether they are the kinim from last week's parsha, the lice, whether they're the lice that we talked about in last week's parsha. This is, of course, a Lashon that we have often in the Tefillah, the Tefillah of the Shlach Kadosh, right? Ad Karne Re'em. Until this, uh, you know, giant animal, the, the Re'em animal, they're all around. God keeps them all alive. Because God wants them alive. Okay. 
I guess that's great. God keeps every species alive. But that's not enough. And here's something that he, again, he upgrades. This is an amplification of an idea that he got from the Ramban. A man should also know that if he keeps mitzvos and he aligns his way of living, and he's he's a religious person. He doesn't steal. He is honest. He's authentic. Okay, yeah. So the same way God keeps these pheasants alive and doesn't want you to take the mother and the bird together. You're supposed to not just think about animals. You're supposed to think about animals and people. And you're supposed to think about God as Ashkocha on the animal kingdom, and he has unique Ashkocha on you. And what's the Ashkocha on you? The Ashkocha on you is, is that God keeps your body alive. Who knows how many years, but the amount of years you'll live is based on God's love and control over human bodies. The And God keeps your nefesh alive forever in Olam Haba. I want to stop here just for a second, by the way. It's from my reading of the Sefer Achinuch, it seems that he does not believe the body goes into Olam Haba at all. Okay? Um, now, you might say that's who cares, but that's very much a philosophical opinion. Now, even though he is not into philosophy, he seems to have accepted the Rambam's idea that Olam Haba is only for the Nefesh. And that's part of what we're supposed to think about. Our bodies, not that our bodies are coming back, but our bodies will be around for a long time, but our nefesh is going to live forever in Olam Haba. That's part of what we're supposed to think about, according to him, when you do this mitzvah shulul hakeim. Because you're supposed to really think about God's ashkoch on animals, and you can't help but thinking about God's ashkoch on human beings. Now, um, let me just show you um, what I mean when it comes to um, okay, so I mentioned from what we just read in the Sefer HaChinuch, we haven't even seen the strength of his point, but what we have seen is the Sefer HaChinuch is of the opinion that the body is can live a long time, but will basically be finished and the soul lives forever. Okay? Now, we have spoken about in this class how this is a fault line between the Ramban and the Rambam. Those of you that have been coming to the Shiurim, you can know what I'm talking about. According to the Rambam, the body has no purpose because it has no rationale. There's no reason for it to live forever. In fact, it's, it's, it's the whole idea of the body is that it's a limiting factor on the soul and the intellect. And therefore, although it, it, it has helped in a way uh, and has provided the struggle for a human being uh, to overcome, it really, there's no reason for the body to be in Olam Haba at all. That is what the Rambam says. 
and uh, the Ramban disagrees. And we, of course, have talked about how this is a very important argument. It has to do with the nature of what holiness means and what the purpose of the body is. Okay? And I, I've told you before that most Mekubolim are on the side, of course, every Mekubol is on the side of the Ramban, and it really makes a difference, even if you're not a Mekubol, about how you view your body and how you view physical enjoyment and how you view the struggle. Okay? Now, whoever the Sefer HaChinuch is, he has sided with the Rambam, at least in terms of the idea of the body not being in the next world. Now, is he a philosopher like the Rambam? So let me show you what he writes here. He says, Ato, and this is in the Haktoma to the, the Sefer HaChinuch, if some mesis, some insider, term you're going to hear a lot lately, uh, in the present period, you're going to be hearing it a lot, uh, tells you that um, a mesis tells you, who comes against God, um, uh, Jew, you need to have a tradition that, that there's a creator and the, the things about the world. What do you have to go ask your, your relative, the, the previous generations for? This was the Pusik that we spoke about last week. Use your brain. Think about ideas. Think about use your good head. Use logic. Open your eyes. See what's in your world. Take a look at the Galgal. Look at the Arba Yesodos. By the way, you know who says to do that? You know who says you have to do that? You know who says that's the mitzvah of Avas Hashem that comes through looking at the world that way? The Rambam. The Rambam says, yeah, you're supposed to look at the planet. That's the way you have Avas Hashem. It's not just what you see in the Torah. But by studying the planets, studying the four Yisodos that the world, the whole universe is made of, by him, the Rambam says, yes, do that. And you will stand in awe when your brain is, 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 is pushed properly to think in a way that you see the greatness of God. You'll actually, the Rambam says, you will be, you, you will stand in wonderment over how great God is, and it will bring you to Yira and Ava. The Sefer Chinuch says that's a Mesis talking. <laughs> you know, who the Mesis is is the Rambam. Although he loves the Rambam, he's saying that attitude, the philosophical attitude of the Rambam, is a Mesis, because if it tells you, you know, use your brain, ubesichlecho chakor. Use your mind, the till mode. And you know what you're going to learn by using your brain and figuring out how the world works and using science? You're going to learn how one is what? Ech yachad. How is yachad and echad the same? How is this multiplicity of things that we have in the world, how is it all one? That's real what the Rambam is saying. That's the way your the Rambam says in Hilchas Yisodei Torah. That's how your Makayim the Mitzvah of 
of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Lakeinu Hashem Echad, is to think about how everything is one, to think about unifying ideas, to think about what are uh, the the constructs that take the ideas about the un the planet and look at them as philosophic, metaphysical. Philosophic is not the word physical and metaphysical principles that are undying. And if you understand that, you understand how everything can really be one. Don't listen to him, the Sefer HaChanuk says, Did you see that? I'm going to underline that. We can't understand anything just using our Seichel using our minds and coming up with some logical argument or scientific discussion. Richard is correct. Yes, the Rambam does use Avram Avinu. What I'm trying to show you who the Sefer Achinuch is here, that he, despite the fact that he embraces the Rambam's version of the dichotomy of soul and body, he's not in the Rambam's camp at all in terms of the significance of human intellect. Because he says, right in his introduction, we can't understand stuff. Even in this lower world, do you think the scientists and the thinkers and the philosophers really understand the planet? Who could use? Is it going? Are you going to be able using this mechkar, this type of logical reasoning and scientific method, to understand how plant life really works? Yeah, <laughs> we know how it works, right? <laughs> but they didn't. They didn't know about photosynthesis. They didn't know the way grasses grow. They didn't know the distinction between various types of yeah. Does it, could anybody ever know what what's really contained? What he means over here, I guess, is how certain uh, plants uh, have a capacity to be, one could be a hallucinogen, hallucinogen, and the other one could be a cancerous item, and one could cure people, the haperos, usculas anovim tovos, viyakaros, what different metals can do, vesibas tnuas abarzel beeven tachtiot. How is it that Metal seems to move with other sort of metal. In other words, magnetism. Can we really understand magnetism? Because which to him was like magic. People who who see this are shocked. They can't figure it out. They can't figure it out how it works. So they can't even figure out how, how, how it is in the lower world that these metals seem to be all flying or connected to each other. If they can't even understand the metallurgy and understand how this, this magnet thing works, and what it means, do you think they can tell you about God in the higher worlds? Look at this double phrase. 
It's our gaiva to think that we can understand God, and to lift up our hand, to, to try to think higher than what we should think. And we don't need to think any higher. Why? Because they gave us a table and they said it. They went deep into these questions and they, meaning Chazal, meaning rabbinic literature, midrashic literature, that is they are the ones who know the Tachos Amitis. And basically it can be it can be reduced to one basic idea, which is in the Torah, that man had, can hear the word of a living God and process it, still be a human being. That's enough for man, which means Maimed Arsini. That's all, that's basically, that's what it is, that the creator of the world can speak to a insignificant, tiny being who is able to understand him, and he can go through that and live afterwards and live based on the knowledge that God, the creator, who can do anything, has a purpose for him. Do we have to do anything more? Do we need to go dig any... Do we have to go dig anymore? The truth is with them. What do we need to do? All you got to do is learn. Just make yourself excited about learning Torah. Drink their words. You don't need to be a philosopher or a scientist or anything like that. So that is something the Rambam would have thought was 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 wrong god wants us to 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 be to, to have torah plus do you remember the ralbag that we spoke about how the ralbag says that the new generations to come will find out things that the world never knew about and, and he was a big believer in human advancement not the sefer Achinuch. um now when he talks about the Torah, and I want to skip to the part that, that was relevant uh, to what I just mentioned before. He talks about why God has to give Torah, and he has a very interesting rationale, which we can maybe deal with in another time, the purpose of why the Torah was given. You know, I'll, I'll say it very quickly. He says, if, if there is a human being who he, did not, he, he admits is the most unique creature because he's, he is a combination of intellect and a body with its desires, if that being could not reach the shlemus of knowledge to understand God and the world, that would mean the world is, in a way, missing something. How could God create a creature so capable of talent like man, to perceive and understand. 
although not necessarily going uh, deep into things more than he has to, but clearly being able to reason and come up with rational thought and come up with ideas. Why would there have to be a, a being like man if man could not get to the ultimate knowledge? So that's why there has to be Torah. There has to be Torah because otherwise it's like you have a planet and there's beings here that can't fulfill their destiny. So the destiny is not like the Rambam or the Raubag would say, is to advance your intellect to the ultimate level, but to discover Torah. And by discovering Torah, you now come to the ultimate level of knowledge that a human being can do and fight off, of course, the body and its desires. So the Torah, there needs to be Torah. If there's not Torah, then basically what you have is an incomplete, you have a, of a, a, you have a, a creation which is incomplete. Um, so that's a, a pretty novel uh, approach. It's not like the Ramban. It's not a mystical approach. And it's, it's, it's not like the Rambam either. Um, now he gets into another question, which is why there's only one people who have the Torah. Why is there only one people who have the Torah? Why is there only Klal Yisrael has the Torah? And again, this is not going to sit well in a politically correct world. But basically he says that that is the way the planet is. That there's always more dross than there is better things. That that's just the way it is Um, in terms of agriculture most of the planet is not the best and 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 most fertile most of it is like he says you know decent the best is always the smallest amount this is very similar to the rambam's point that he writes in the to the parish on mishnah um and he says that's the way it is with fruits and with animals the strongest the largest is only a, a small percentage. That's the way it is with people. So therefore, um, it's not surprising that the best people, the ones that are the best of the planet, has to be a smaller amount. It can't be everybody. And it's us. It's Yisrael. And the truth is, like God says, we're the smallest amount. And right, he knows who's the best. Uh, and and he call, and he chose us. Okay, so again, this is something those of you that think, Jack, you, you mentioned to me uh, before if this is a particularly uh, philosophical idea as in Chazal, very much with Chazal, very much, th- this is not something the safe, you know, people say the Balatanya, here you see clearly that we are the Mivchara Min Anushi uh, because there has to be a Mivchara Min Anushi and that's us. I don't know if the Rambam ever writes anything like this. The idea that we are, um, you know, we were chosen because, of course, they cannot, I think the Rambam might not write it, but I think he believed that the philosophers were the minority. Now, he's not talking about philosophy. He says, we're just the best. We have the best. He wouldn't use the word DNA. But we are the best the same way, however you're going to determine a fertile piece of land. We are the most, uh, we, are, we are the best in terms of our understanding and our intellect and our emotional 
abilities. It's all, and God shows the best there could be. Now, he does mention Sheva Mitzvah. I'm going to skip that. Um, but then he says, if we're the best, how come we are suffering so much? And what he says here is clear. He says, yes, but everybody knows. Not just Jews. All religions know. That God created two worlds. The world of the bodies is like nothing compared to the world of the soul. Shazek could sail over because this is just going to be over. It's over for each individual. And even if you want to say there will come a time when there won't, I don't know, I don't know if he means there'll come a time when there won't be humans in bodies. But for each human, you know that your time on this planet, even if you live to be 120, is like a shadow that passes. But your time as a neshama is forever. So we know the nefesh is the ichor of a person. And that's the part that's within you that will last and will last forever. The body is only a cleave for the nefesh. It's only here for a short time. Okay, you see this phrase? Nifsad. It's basically finished, right? It decomposes. Nelach, it sort of stinks. This doesn't sound like the body's coming back for Tchias HaMesim, does it? And forever. This doesn't sound like the body is going to be here even in the next world, whatever it is, right? Maybe there is something called Tchias HaMesim, but it's not essential. So, we have the neshama. And that's going to be something that is forever. Um, okay? So, Going so here we see a um the Sefer Achinuch is sort of like in between the Ramban and the Rambam, right? Um most it's it, in fact it seems to be mostly the Rambam without the philosophical part of it. Right? He's taken the Rambam's principle that that the body is really gonna be thrown out. But not because, you know, not, he doesn't use the philosophical ideas of the Rambam at all. Anyway, let's go back to uh, Shul HaKain. So when I do Shul HaKain, he writes, what do you see? I think about animals and humans. So we know, Mida Kenegad Mida. Because since when I'm ta- sending that animal away, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about why is it that I'm not supposed to take the mother? Why is it that God is controlling uh, uh, pheasants? Why is it that these birds that God, uh, because that's the reason why I'm not supposed to take both. So I'm, I'm, I have the idea in my brain that God will control uh, the species. It's God who does it. And God also is going to make sure my soul lives forever. So if you are thinking that, so now God will say, you're thinking the right thing. Your mind is thinking the right thing. Hmm. If you're thinking the right thing, you know what? 
And that's the reason when you're doing it, you're thinking this, and you believe in me, Mita Kanegan Mita, I will make you live longer. You will live longer now because you're thinking about me making humans like you live. So since that's what you're doing, I'm going to respond. Now, by the way, most of you who've heard the Sefer Chinuch have probably have heard what he says probably, you know, a hundred times throughout his work, that Adam Nifal Kefi Pulasov, that a person changes based on the actions he does, that the actions change him. This is one of the cardinal principles of the Sefer Chinuch that everybody knows about. Here, what we're seeing is, yes, your actions change you, but your actions are tethered and should be tethered to an idea that's in your head. You need the action of, 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 of sending the bird away and resisting and not slaughtering both on one day, mother and child, to make it concrete in your mind, this idea. So obviously the action will help you get there. But once the action tethered with the idea is now strong within you, so now God says, ooh, I, there's someone there who's, who's thinking about me and how I keep him alive and keep humans alive. I will keep this guy alive. And that's why he says, the Medrash says further, and the Ramban did not quote this, neither did the Rambam, a Medrash that says that by doing this mitzvah, you'll have children, that this is a school to have children. And what does it mean having children that live? That means you live further. Meaning that, of course, your neshama will live forever. You want your body also, that body that's, that, that, that was very finite and, and, and sort of had its own quirks. That will also, in a way, live forever. Not because your, your body's coming back, but because you're going to have kids and your kids will live. And this is a segula to have children that basically keep you going. And where do they get that from? Chinuch says, probably from the fact that it says, Shalach tishalach tikach loch. Why do you have to say bonim tikach loch? Send the, obviously you want the, the children. You want the eggs. Why do you have to say, send the mother and take the, take the children? Just say, if you see them both, can't have them both, send the mother away. It's obvious you take the kids. So from that phrase, we're able to read another idea. You will have children. This is a way for you to get children for your nefesh, which means even though your nefesh will live forever, but this is a way that you can have actual, a continued bloodline. I don't know how long it goes on, but this is a way you could have a certain sense of eternality in some fashion, not really eternality, but some sort of stuff in this world that goes on because you're going to have kids who probably will also have children. So that is the way he understands uh, the mitzvah shulach hakeim. Now, after he quotes this, uh, his, his idea, he then um, quotes the Ramban and the Rambam. And at, after that, he writes, I spent all this time quoting these men 
because they are real good witnesses, but not just good witnesses. They are Amudei Olam Chachomim Givonim, Balei Seichel Mezukak. They're the best. I'm a piker compared to them. Uh, he's writing the Sefer Achinuch. He says, these men, Rambam and Ramban, who we've talked about their reasons behind this mitzvah, they are the Amudei Olam. They are the Chachomim Gavonim and the Volim. They are the ones who, who are Balei Seichel Mezukak, Ubesisri Atorim Mekubolim. So, what do you see from them? Uh, you see that they both say that the mitzvahs Torah are supposed to really change you. They're supposed to give you an idea. They're supposed to um, uh, to be machshir you. And it's not just that God is a is, is some sort of despot that wants you to fulfill His will. So look at them. I mean, they're much bigger than me. Now, there's many mitzvahs that I was not able to figure out. I wasn't able to figure them out. Because I'm not so smart. Because they are deep. And the whole purpose of what they is, what they are, I'm not the Rambam and the Ramban. But at least I'm sort of following in their way that I'm trying to come up with stuff. So even though I know that what I'm saying doesn't match them and doesn't really, isn't as deep, I'm not going to not say anything about them. Yeah, I know I'm sort of a, I'm sort of a poor man's version of the Rambam and the, and the Ramban. But, you know, I'm not going to, I'm still going to say stuff. I'm still going to try to explain to the best of my ability what advantages you can get. That's really what I've done this whole book. There is a benefit in all mitzvahs, and it's not for God, it's for us. And if you really think about it, you'll see all mitzvahs are for our benefit. And I tried. And there were some of them I really worked hard on. And I, and I really tried um, uh, to do what I could um, to get at least a little bit of it. And this is really the best. This is my chalik. I want to end with a, a statement that the Sefer HaChinech writes um, In the mitzvah of Lulav, he comes up with his idea. And he describes, as an interesting question, why God during Shavuos and Sukkot didn't create a mitzvah for us to hold something. Well, why Sukkot do we need to, like, hold an object? Why weren't we supposed to, like, do some sort of avoda? Of course, we do have matzi, says, is in our hands. That's one of the things he says. And why by Shavuos don't we need any objects? Anyway, he has a rationale about how holding this object 
is similar to tefillin, that, that the holding this object, which gives us such simcha, and knowing there's a mitzvah about it, is similar to wearing tefillin on our arm and on our mind that bind us to God. And then he says here, I believe I know that the Kabbalists, like the Ramban, have deep, incredible ideas about Lulov and why we take the other three Minim. But I am not there. And I'm not here to give you the Kabbalistic take, or even try. Now, he does say that maybe if when you're young, this could be where you're at, but then you could advance. Now, I'm not sure if he just said that in order to, you know, to be modest. I think in one level he felt if you want to go into, you'll go deeper, you'll, you'll get things even stronger than what you have what I can write to you, because I know I'm just giving on a basic level these tamim, but he might also believe that for certain people who aren't philosophers like the Rambam, and who aren't Kabbalists like the Ramban, he's coming up with a third way, somewhere where he takes a little bit of both. And in that way, I think he really does, in a way, he's sort of versus Ramban, and versus Rambam at the same time. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.